Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Milo. If you're one of the people... One of the six people, maybe, who listen into the podcast, you don't know what just happened here a few minutes ago, and so some of the people do listen online each week, and we just had all the kids in the service, and we're doing some different things this morning, and the kids just sang a song, and they all sang, they said, adults, join us, sing with us, and they said, the B-I-B-L-E, and then they said, J-U-S-U-S, and then we were all supposed to say, let's go, right? We didn't really know what to do. Would you agree with that? Okay. The kids, they all knew what to do. The rest of us are kind of, we're not sure what to do. Well... Put, put your kid's hat on for a moment as well to say the kids right now are, are, are not really sure what to do either. And so that's part of our responsibility in raising the next generation of how do we dig into God's Word week after week. What is it that the, the grown-ups do in big church each week? And so it is your responsibility, parents, as we go through our message today, as we work our way through our notes today. And I'll do the best that I can to make things uh, very easy to follow along with. But uh, to, to help the kids along this morning, help that next generation along with what is it that we're supposed to be doing here? And, and so I'll, I'll share that with you just to say it is entirely appropriate uh, for you to whisper and talk this morning to say, here, get out your uh, notes when he says to pull out this note out of your bulletin. Get out the sheet of paper. I know the kids, you got green sheets of paper this morning to be able to help you take notes uh, with some of the areas that we're going this morning. And so the first thing we want you to do this morning is get out your Bibles. Would you get out your Bibles this morning? And if you didn't bring one, that's all right. In front of you, in the pew in front of you, there's a, a Bible there in front of you. The New International Version is what we'll all be working off of together today. We are in Romans chapter 6. So make your way to Romans chapter 6. Adults, you can help your kids make their way there. Uh, you can help them find it on your Version app on, on your phone or something like that as well. Uh, if you're using that black Bible in front of you, it is page 1,182. That'll give you a little bit of a, a crutch to help you get there. 1,182. And kids, we're in a sermon series, the adults, we're in a sermon series called The Reign of Grace. The reign of grace. And when we use that word reign, we're not talking about the rain that falls outside. Reign of grace is referring to like kings sitting on their throne. And so we're saying grace sits on the throne. This reign of grace. And so as we open up chapter 6 of Romans, we see this sentence that starts like this. is, what then shall we sin? And, and the reality is, is actually Romans has been working through uh, all of the author here. Uh, Paul has, has made this statement multiple times. He's actually said it in Romans 3 uh, verse 1, Romans 3 verse 9, Romans 4 verse 1, Romans 6 verse 1, Romans 6 verse 15, and Romans 7 verse 7. He'll keep using this question to be able to ask and say, what shall we do then? And then finishes the statement out. And he's asking the questions that we would all ask of I don't know what to do. He says, what would you do this? And he's going to give us some instruction for you this morning. So the message translation words the first couple of verses in the chapter this way. It says, so since we're out from under the old tyranny, does that mean we can live any old way that we want? Since we're out from under the old tyranny or the old ruler or the old authority. My brother-in-law, John Mark, is a, a pastor of a church uh, himself, but uh, he left his, uh, his home, when he turned 18 and left home and, and he went to a year of college and it didn't go so well. And he decided that he was going to leave the tyranny of his dad's rule at home. And he decided, I'm tired of dad telling me what to do all the time. And so I'm going to join the Coast Guard. So they won't tell me what to do all the time. Some of you found that. Yeah? Okay. You with me? 
Dad's telling me what to do all the time. I'm sick and tired of him, the tyranny of his control, and so I'm going to join the Coast Guard so they can't tell me what to do anymore. Does that mean we can live any old way we want? No. Since we're free in the freedom of God, can we do anything that comes to mind? Hardly. That's what the Apostle Paul says. And my brother-in-law, John Mark, learned the same thing. Hardly was he going to join the Coast Guard and not have anyone tell him what to do or have any authority over him. So first we have to remember why we're here. When we look at this passage, again, kids, you haven't been in the service with us through this whole series, and that's okay because it's a reminder for us as adults as well. This is all building off of Romans chapter 1, verse 16, which says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes. I am not ashamed of the gospel. And that is the starting argument that builds the whole book of Romans. That's the, the thesis statement. That's the beginning of the persuasive essay that is being written here so that we learn about the gospel. And so and we are remembering why we started this book. It, it reminds us when we look at this of, are, are we out from the old tyranny? Are we free to do whatever we want? It says, no, 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 no. Remember the main deal. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for everyone who believes. Remember why we're here. Remember how we got to this point. This week is an interesting one. We're in western New York. We shouldn't be totally surprised that there's snow on the ground this morning. But there is. Some of you walked out this morning and said, how did this happen? It snowed. That's how it happened. And we live in western New York. Uh, Friday morning, my wife and I got uh, uh, tickets that were comped to us to be able to go skiing on Friday morning. That, it was 65 degrees here, 61 degrees, something like that here in Buffalo. But we actually were able to drive down to Ellicottville, which is about an hour away, and able to go skiing. There was still snow on the ground. Uh, but it was raining, and so it was, it was okay. But it was, it was fun because it was just the two of us, and we got to go and spend the day. And so that's something that we'll remember because we got comp these free ski passes. And then we got to the ski resort, and the reality was is the ski passes had to be comped uh, 24 hours in advance before you got there. Well, my uncle who gave them to us only comped them the night before, so we got there and had to pay to ski in the rain after driving an hour to do that. And so that's going to be a memorable experience for us. It reminded us of, hey, remember when, about three years ago, uh, we had uh, some tickets uh, with uh, Southwest Airlines that you can fly anywhere, but we had to use them within a year. And so uh, we went and we flew out to uh, Tahoe, which is uh, where they did the, uh, the Olympics in the 50s or the 60s. Uh, some, I can't remember what year it was, but there was the Olympics were out there. And so we got to go ski on an Olympic ski slope and make our way down this valley. And we skied. It was a beautiful day the first day. And then the next two days, we skied in the rain. In the middle of, I mean, it was this gorgeous, gorgeous place that you couldn't see because the rain was all around us and all on top of us. And so it's like this connection. Remember when we went skiing the other day in the rain? Remember when we went to the best place uh, uh, to go skiing, the best place we could possibly imagine ever skiing, and we skied in the rain. And then we go back even further and say, hey, remember when we got married and we, we, we had all this snow and we went and skied? Because we got married here in western New York in December of 2001. Uh, those of you who lived here, that the November storm was a couple years ago, but in 2001, over Christmas break, there was a snowstorm, and the snow was so thick that it covered the entire parking lot of the of the of the uh, airport. So that when people went away on their Christmas vacation, they came back, and the entire carport was all buried. There were cars out there somewhere, but it's underneath all of that snow. 
And so in a similar way, on our wedding day, there was eight feet of snow that weekend. And so we had to delay our, our wedding for two hours. And we had to, uh, to try to get back and forth out of the city with all the roads were closed and all that. Remember that. And then we went from there down to Holiday Valley and went skiing and then got on a plane in Toronto and flew to Cancun for our actual honeymoon. But when we went skiing at Holiday Valley, what we remembered about that was, guess what? It was raining. As a family, we like to do some things that are exciting. We like to have some adventures. But sometimes those adventures come and the memories that come with them are not exactly how you thought they were going to turn out. And sometimes those memories, it's what went wrong. And, and the journey that you go through is part of what makes that experience what it is. And so when I say uh, we went skiing on our honeymoon and there was eight foot of snow, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. Uh, when, I, when I talk about going and yes, we went skiing, it was 60 degrees here. I, I'm not blowing that up. That's really what we did. But it was, it, it was part of what we as a family like to do. And so uh, some of you follow us or, or, or look at what we're putting on Facebook and different things like that. At times, one of the things we like to say in our family is that adventure is a family value. It's something that is important to us. It's something that we really uh, like to be able to, to share experiences together because life is all about shared experiences. But the reality is, is that's not our only family value. The reality is, is adventure cannot be the only thing that you pursue in life. That's not the only thing that our family does. And so if it was all about the adventure, that would mean that, that the whole time that I spent uh, with my wife on Friday or the whole time that we spent a couple years going, uh, going away as, as a couple or even our, our wedding night and the weekend after that, all about, if, if, if it was all about the adventure of going skiing and it get rained out, then it all kind of falls apart because there's got to be a little bit more than that. And so this morning, because we do have the kids in the service, we're digging in here to Romans chapter 6, and there's some fundamental truths that are being shared here that I think it applies for each of us as families, as, as parents, as you've got your kids sitting with you this morning to realize that, that there's some, some values that you need to be instilling to your kids. And this chapter really lays out some core truths, some core principles that you need to be willing to share. Why are family values important? Why do we need them as a family? Why does it drive us forward? See, it's not just our, our families that need this. We each need this as individuals. But a family kind of collective helps you drive forward. See, a family mission statement is a combined unified expression from all the families, members in your family. They know what it is that you're going after. What it really is and what you really want to do and be the principles that you choose to govern your family. It's what Stephen Covey calls, this is a family mission. And so what does that give us? If you have a family mission and understanding that your family is going somewhere, they understand that there's some core values, some core truths that you want to be able to communicate to your kids and to your family, what does that allow you to have? I believe that does this, does three things. It gives you vision in the valley when things aren't going so well, when things are, are a little bit rough around the edges. It gives you clarity on the mountaintop. When you, when you have a really great day, you realize why. When you look down into the valley where you've just come through, those, those family values give you some understanding of that. Then it gives you some intentionality along the journey. So I'm going to share with you this morning is the, the, the principles, the values, the truths that Paul, the author here in the book of Romans as we were reading through, is giving us. But I want you to see it through a lens of parents what you ought to be instilling as some family values for your kids. If you don't have kids this morning, that's okay. 
you're in luck because this message is also for you. Because these principles, these truths that Paul is teaching are not just written to parents with seven kids. We don't have any of those, I don't think. I'm tallying up in my head that, 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 no. I don't think we have any parents with seven kids or six kids or five kids or one kid. No, these, these principles are true for each and every one of us. So church family, these are our family values. Christ follower, these should be your family values. Christian, your family values. To understand that these are the, the things that we need to be able to drive us forward. And we're going to use them as statements today to be able to help define that these are values for you and for me. So uh, look there, Romans chapter 6, verse 15, and you can write in your notes, and it's, I've got them written down for you as a white fill-in in that bulletin uh, there for you, and also you can fill them out, kids, on that green sheet of paper as well. Here's your first fill-in. We will know whose we are. Family value number one, we will know whose we are. Romans chapter 6, verse 15 says this, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Verse 16 starts with the words, Don't you know? As Paul is talking to those who are in Rome, the church that is in Rome, as he is sharing these truths, again, reminding them, he's saying, don't you know, or even further, he's saying, don't you remember that we're not under law, but under grace? Don't you remember when you offer yourselves as a, an obedient slave, don't you remember what that looks like? And what he's referring to is the, the people that he is writing this to, they are the descendants of the Hebrews who lived in Egypt. And the Hebrews who lived in Egypt are under the, the rule of the Egyptian pharaoh. And as they are there in that rule, they're, they're under slavery. And they're under slavery which leads unto death. As we see here in verses 16, don't you know that you offer yourselves as you obey whether you are slaves to sin which leads to death. Or you are slave to obedience which leads to righteousness. I'm going to try to use a few illustrations at the same time this morning to be able to keep things along the same line. So we have, first of all, something that leads to what? To death. And then we have something that leads to life. And as I said, we, this is coming out of the teachings that we see of the uh, of Pharaoh who has them in Egypt, and they are slaves there in Egypt. And Moses comes along, and Moses, who is being led of God to take them out of Egypt, to be able to take them, and he is he has had the 12 plagues and he has, he, the 10 plagues, and he's, he's leading uh, the, the 12 uh, different groups of people that we, we see as the groups of Israel all leaving together. And they're leaving Egypt, and they come to what? They come to the Red Sea. And Moses stands there and leads them to the Red Sea, and they are stuck, and they are now in a position where they are they're following a path that either leads towards death or leads towards life. The position they're in, the army is coming in behind them. Kids, do you remember the story? The army is coming in behind them. The Egyptians are pursuing them. They don't want them to leave Egypt. They want to keep them under control. They want to keep them under the rule of law. And Jesus is, is using the same illustration through his apostle Paul as he is writing these words. In Genesis chapter 14, verse 4, God tells Moses, he said, This way the Egyptians will know that I am. And the Lord. This way, the people of Israel will know that I am 
their God. I am the great I am. We will know whose we are. And as they stand there and look towards the Red Sea, realizing that they cannot go any further, realizing that there is nothing else that they can do, he says, we will know whose we are. The only way that they'd be able to go forward is if God, who's saying, you are my children, you are the children of Israel, if he acts on their behalf and gives them the life that he has promised to them because they are his, we will know whose we are. Second fill-in for you this morning is we will be who we are. We will be who we are. Verse 17 says, but thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves in sin, so this is who you used to be, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You've been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. You used to be afraid, going back to this illustration from the Genesis chapter 4, you used to be afraid, you used to be alone, you used to be under the Egyptian rule, you used to be oppressed, but now you are free. Why? Because what happened? Because God intervened. Because God says, you are mine. And they walk across on dry land over the Red Sea. They go forward knowing God is saying, you are mine, you belong to me, I want you to know that you are mine so clearly that I am going to do something that defies all the laws of nature so that you remember and that you know whose you you are and that you walk in that and you be who you are. You see, sin is the path that leads to loneliness, that leads to fear, that leads to hurt, that leads to struggle, that leads to pain, that leads to unforgiveness, that leads to death. But that's not who you are anymore. Be who you are. You are the people of Israel. You are the ones who are following after this leader Moses who is saying, I am following the great I am. The great I am is who has called me to, to take you out of Egypt. And that is who you are now, as you are now God's people, God's children. Remember whose you are. We will be who we are, understanding that we are that in God. We will be who we are. We will choose the only way. We will choose the only way. Verse 19 says this. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Now, this is not part of our everyday life. But first century Christians, it was part of their everyday life. They knew what slavery looked like. It was around them. It was part of their culture. It was part of their time. And so when he is using this illustration towards what slavery looked like and looks like, they knew that very well. It was part of their history. It was part of their heritage. It was part of who they were. It is not part of who you and I are. And so because of our human limitations, sometimes we have to be able to use these illustrations. We have to have some more explanation for us in this. So he gives this explanation. He says, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves. So now he's illustrating this using the slavery terminology to how they're living their life. To ever-increasing wickedness. 
Offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. You said the direction you're going right now is leading towards wickedness, towards debauchery. Now it leads towards holiness, this way of righteousness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit that you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. So as we continue this illustration over here, and again, this is not an illustration we've not seen uh, before because a lot of times uh, we've used this here at the church, but it's a good reminder uh, for each of us this morning. So we find that the, the road that leads towards life is of God. And the road that leads towards death is of sin. There's a great poem written by a guy named Robert Frost. Kids, you'll probably study in school soon if you haven't already. The stories of going through the woods and there's, there's, there's two paths. There's a fork in the road. There's, you're going to choose one or the other. In a similar way as that poem kind of lays out, that choice of what path I take is very important. And this morning we have to understand that the path that we take, this path of sin that leads towards death, or the path of God that leads towards life, you see verse 21, we see the things that result in death. Now you've been set, seat, set free from the path of sin and become slaves of the path of God. It's a different path. It's a different direction. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no other way. There's only one path. There's only one way to do this. The path of sin that leads to death, the path of God that leads towards life. I <coughs> started out this morning sharing a story about snow skiing. When we moved to South Carolina, we lived there almost 10 years. I had the opportunity to learn how to water ski. Some of you knew how to do this up here. I didn't. Raise your hand if you're a water skier. Okay, a few people who are from other states, as I'm looking around a few of you, yeah. Ironically, we have a number of thousands of boats and a huge body of water here in western New York. But water skiing is not one of the things that I grew up with anyway. And so uh, I was the youth pastor of a youth group, and one of the guy's uh, parents, uh, he, he loved to take out the youth group, and he loved to take them out uh, water skiing. And he would teach the kids how to water ski and teach them uh, how to be out there on the water. And eventually, if the kids really got good at it, he would let them work their way up towards barefoot water skiing. Barefoot water skiing is when you are barefoot, and you ski on the water. That's about it. That's about it. But there is a, there's only one way to do it, and I've learned it the hard way, and he would talk the kids through it step by step by step. This is how you learn how to barefoot water ski. There's only one way to do it. Follow my instructions. So first, you lay down totally flat on your back in the water while the boat revs itself up. Or sometimes there's a boom that goes out the side of the boat and you can hang off the back of that. But you've got to lay all the way back on your back in the water. Get your feet out of the water as much as you can. That's step number one. Then you skim across the water on your back. Then if you're doing okay, then you can pull yourself up where you're sitting on your butt on the water. Skimming across the water on your butt. The boat at this point is moving very, very rapidly. 
From there, if you're still okay, then you can roll yourself up towards your feet in a sitting position and you can actually skim across the water, the top of the water, in a sitting position. And then if you're doing okay, then you can stand up and you can actually stand and fly across the water on your bare feet on the water. If you do it that way, there is only one way to barefoot water ski. And I had tons and tons of guys, the, the muscular meathead guys, the, the good ones, those guys that said, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to water ski. I'm going to barefoot water ski. And he'd walk them through the steps. This is what you do first. This is what you do second. This is what you do third. This is what you do fourth. And one by one, they would go out there in the water and they would muscle that thing and they would just try to stand up. The, the boat is flying across the water. And what happens when you do that? You go flying across the water. Pop, 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 pop. And you'd come back with your big brush burns across their face and, and bruises on their whole body. And then, then they would think, you know what, now that I'm bouncing and dragging and laying and holding onto the rope behind the boat, I, the other thing he would always tell them is, if you cannot do it this way, let go and we'll try again. But most of them would think, if I just hold on, I'll be able to spin myself back around and I will be able, you cannot do it. I had my own set of bumps and bruises and reasons why I didn't, I did it one time for about six seconds. And then I too smacked my face on the water. There's only one way. And the guys who are professionals and there's these big competitions with guys who, who go water skiing on their barefoot and they do all kinds of tricks and everything, but they all start out the same way. They start laying on their back, then they sit up to their butt, then they come to their feet, then they stand up. There's only one way. When Jesus says, says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he is saying that because you're going to go bouncing across the water, you're going to do some damage, you're going to hurt yourself, and that path, that road leads towards what? It leads towards death. That road of sin leads towards death. Family value, we will be who we are, we will choose the only way because we know that the other path leads towards death. Death. This is the only way. We will choose the only way. Last villain, we will grow every day. We will grow every day. Now, if these are going to be the values that are being instilled, and the, the family values, the, the values of a Christ follower that are being laid out here in this chapter that we need to remember, we need to remember this is a process. Verse 22. But now that you've been set free from sin, you become a slave of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result will be eternal life. In this familiar passage, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So because you have been set free, it says here, grow. Kids who are, who are young and you have a lot of school left, you have a lot of education to go through, you have a lot of things to learn, you need to continue to grow. Grow up. Adults, the growing is not over, friends. Grow into holiness. Grow deeper in your faith. Grow stronger in your appreciation for the greatness and the beauty and the glory of God. This is the adventure. When we say adventure is a family value, this is the adventure. When Moses stands at the edge of the water, tips his, his toes in the edge of the water and, and extends his arms... 
That's the adventure that the, the whole water moves out of the way. And they're going to, to grow into taking steps further. Because as they take steps further, what? They see God continue to work and continue to work and continue to work and continue to work. As they get out to the middle of the lake, the middle of the sea, and the water, the wall is still being held up by the, the hand of God. And they continue to take steps and they continue to step forward, growing in strength and growing in, in trust for what God is doing. Because it's unbelievable. As Moses stands with his arms outstretched, and they literally walk across on dry land from death unto life. They quite literally walk across from a place that they would be held in slavery for the rest of their lives in Egypt. They walk across on dry land from death unto life. And God moves on their behalf. And the waters close in on their enemies and they walk away free. And in the same way, as this passage, Romans 6.23, demonstrates, we see this gift of God. This gift of God gives us what? Eternal life. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. They could work in Egypt for their entire lives. They could, they could toil, they could, they could try to, they, they were going to be stuck in Egypt forever. Because no matter what, as long as they were on that path, the wages, what they were working towards was always going to lead towards death there in Egypt. The term wages, we, we receive wages, we receive a paycheck. We, most of us receive an auto debit into our bank accounts now. Not many of us receive a physical check anymore. But that debit, that, that, that stub that you get there at the end of the day says your name and it has a dollar amount and the taxes are taken out. Don't forget to do your taxes. Taxes are taken out, all those things. Everything is, is this, it's all taken out there. Why? Because New York State demands by law if you work for a week, you get paid for that week. Your employer must give you what you are due. Those are the wages that you are due. And as long as we work, as long as we pursue the path that leads towards death, that's what we are due. The wages of sin is death. However, the gift of God is eternal life. And as this illustration lays out for you there in your notes, this is, this is so as Moses extended his hands and showed his arms that, that he was going to have them walk across on dry land towards life, Jesus extends his arms. And through the same way, we walk across from an eternal death. We walk across because of what he has done to eternal life. The reality is, is this is a basic truth, but it's the reality is we don't live our lives to match up to this. When the people walk on dry land across the sea, they're forever changed. Do you think that they forgot that moment? Do you think that they, they really wanted to be on a path that led to death anymore? No. And the adventure that was there, the, the excitement that came from, the, the full life that was there for them, the gift of God is life, not just eternal life in the distance, but life right there in the moment right now. And yes, there are some bumps along the way. Yes, there are some. But it says here that as, as we do this, we benefit is that we reap towards holiness. 
a perfecting like the refiner's fire. <coughs> so this morning, we need to remember, remember whose you are. Do you know whose you are? You see, as Romans 6.23 says, this is a gift of God. He died on the cross for your sins and for mine. And through this gift, not by any work that we can do, by any wage that we can commit, no, through this gift of God. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Through this gift of God, we may have eternal life. This morning, you may not know whose you are. You may not realize or be aware of which path you are on. Here it says very clearly, it says if if you do not know who Jesus is, you, you have chosen the path that leads to death. But God loved us so much that he made a way. Through the gift of God, we have eternal life. As the band comes forward this morning, as our ushers for communion come forward this morning, if we're to say remember whose you are, communion literally is, the Lord's Supper literally is a memory. This do in remembrance of me. Remember whose you are. Remember what I have done for you. Parents, as you as you talk to your kids, we, we want you to whisper through. We want you to talk to I want to give you some prompts this morning so that you can share with your kids. This is why we do communion. Because I want you to know whose you are. That God created you fearfully and wonderfully made. Remember whose you are. You see, the Lord's Supper is more than just sipping some juice and eating a wafer. It's important that this simple act is a reminder to us. It is a way to symbolize what Jesus did when he died for us on the cross. Whenever the Lord's Supper is taken, we do it as a body of believers. We do it as an extended family of Christ. This family that is here this morning, yes, many of you are members of this church, but it is not just the church family here within the doors of 6301 Main Street, Randall Church. No, it is a larger expression of faith. (coughs) Those who who have given their lives to understand that they too belong to God. And in doing so, they understand and we understand that it's only because the gift of Jesus Christ. And he gave himself for you and for me. So communion is also a time where we evaluate how we are living our lives. Where we ask one another for forgiveness for, for ways we have damaged or hurt one another. Or grievances that we've held against a neighbor. Sins we've committed against someone else. It's a time of thanksgiving for Christ's sacrifice, for what he's done for you and for me. This do in remembrance of me. Remember whose you are. It's more than a religious ritual. It's communion. A common union. It's what we have in union together with each other. So parents, this morning, this is your opportunity to lead your family. For some, it is not appropriate yet this morning. If your, if your kids do not understand where, where they are uh, between their relationship with, with God, just, just wait. Just talk them through what's going on, but maybe don't take communion this morning. And that's all right. 
Because it's more about an understanding. Can, can they know, can they understand whose they are? That's part of your evaluation as well. Do you, parents, do you, are you able to lead through this? Because you are confident in your standing before the Lord because of who Jesus is. Again, there's many here this morning who don't have children. But the challenge, the charge is still the same. Before a holy God, do you know whose you are? Because Jesus loved us so much that he gave himself for us. And so on the night before he was betrayed, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see this, this gathering of his disciples, his, his close friends, his family. He's gathered them around. The night before he was betrayed, he's having this huddle to be able to tell them, this is what I'm about to do. I'm about to give myself up as a sacrifice for you. And every time you get together after this, remember, when we, when we eat together again, remember whose you are. So Romans chapter, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 23 says, I received from the Lord, I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And so we do the same thing this morning. We take bread and we will, we will pass it around. The trays will go from the front to the back. You can pass it down the aisles. We'll take bread and we'll look at that bread. This is the body that was broken for you. Parents, will you share with your kids what that means, that Jesus, the God of the universe, broke his body for you so that you would know whose you are. If you know that song, so let's sing that together. Seek ye first. 
to you that the Lord Jesus Christ in the night which he betrayed took bread and he broke it and he said when he given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is broken for you this do in remembrance in the same way it says he took the cup so we will take the cup as well and pass the grape juice and be able to demonstrate the blood of Christ which was shed for you and for me. How great the chasm that lay between us How high the mountain I could not climb How deep creation I turned to heaven And spoke your name Into the night Then through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows Of my soul the work is finished, the end is written, Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of heaven stepped down from glory where my sin and bear my shame. The cross has spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me 
his own beautiful savior i'm yours forever in jesus christ my living hope oh hallelujah praise the one who set me free hallelujah death has lost its grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living hope hallelujah praise the one who set me free hallelujah death has lost its grip on me you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living hope oh, hallelujah death has lost its grip on me hallelujah you have broken every chain there's salvation in your name jesus christ my living hope jesus christ is our living hope in the same way he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood this do in remembrance of me Lord, we love you. We thank you. Lord, we pray that as we come to the communion table this morning, Lord, we pray that as, as the words have so fitly said for generations, this do in remembrance of me. Lord, I pray that we will leave here this morning remembering whose we are. You gave yourself fully for us. Lord, you lived the life that we could not live. You died the death we could not die. Lord, you conquered when we could not win. So we trust you. We thank you. We praise you for who you are. We give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen.